Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch, and I am up here in the mountains in Banff, beautiful Banff, Alberta. Last day here after Nick and I did a couple of wonderful events for our Alberta investing community. We did an event in Edmonton and an event in Calgary. I'm joined here by Nick, as always. Nick, how's it going? It's going well, man. I'm a little jealous you're still in the in the mountains over there. I've been following along on Instagram as, as you post a few amazing scenic photos of the frozen wonderland that you guys are in. And I'm back here in Toronto and I've been driving back and forth to properties all week. It's been a busy one for me back here, man. I was up in Cornwall looking at a nine unit portfolio we have under contract and kind of documenting everything there. We've been going back and forth on a 25 unit portfolio, which has been a ton of fun and, and a real chess game, which is which has been awesome. Getting an Airbnb set up as well, working with one of our custom home builders to to help him get his place on the market and host some open houses and whatnot. So yeah, it's been busy, but you know, all good stuff. And of course, still pumping out these episodes and and helping my mortgage clients with their challenges every day as well. So not much going on, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty chill. It is interesting actually on, on the Tenplex note that we are, you know, looking at doing it through that CMHC financing program, which is really interesting. Maybe we'll have to do a whole episode on that. Yeah, totally. It's a really great, specifically multifamily, like directly, it was it was a match made in heaven with this property and, and that product. So I think it's a good idea. We definitely need to to explore it a bit further. Yeah. So for anybody interested, I think it has to be, it has to be what, six contiguous units, Nick? And then, so minimum of six units contiguous, and then you can get, you can sort of unlock this because one of CMHC's primary goals is to support the generation or financing of affordable housing and rental housing. So they have great rental construction financing programs, but they also have really awesome term debt. So they'll give you longer amortizations, better rates because it's insured. Their underwriting's a little bit, let's say, tough. Like you're not gonna, they're not going to underwrite you at the cap rate that you probably want, which is actually a great segue because today we're going to be talking about cap rates versus cash flow. But before we do that, Nick, do you want to read a couple of reviews to, to thank our listeners for these reviews and try and, guys, the reason we're doing this is because we want you to leave us more reviews, promote your business, whatever you want in the review, we don't care, and we'll try and get it on the show. So Nick, let's start off with the first one here. Yeah, for sure. So the title of this one is called The Real Deal, and it's by Bree BD. BE from November 27th. So just a couple days ago, actually, just went to their meetup event in Edmonton, was a little skeptical there would be a bunch of snake oil salesmen or people just trying to sell you something. And I could not have been more wrong. The value that these two add to the space is enormous. They picked great guests and are fostering genuine community here. Keep up the great work on the podcast. That is awesome. Love to see it. Thanks for coming. I think I know who that's by. So I guess it's a good thing that they wouldn't it. let me bring my snake oil on the plane, eh? Yeah. Wait, snake oil on a plane? Sorry, that was really <laughs> Snakes on a plane. <laughs> that's what I was next, getting at. Uh, <laughs> next review here. 
says very informative by, it looks like they just smashed the top number of keys on the keyboard there, but on November 23rd, if you're leaving us a review, like leave your real name or your Instagram handle or something so we can give you a promo, by the way, but this is just a QWERTY whatever. I'm a new REI and I just stumbled across your podcast and I've listened to two episodes. I'm very impressed with the quality and thoroughness of your content. I have to listen to each one more than once just to ensure I'm taking in all the great information. I'm looking forward to listening to more. Well, thank you for joining us, Querdy. Hope to eventually learn who you are and happy to have you on board. Thanks for the review. Querdy's actually a great little nickname, to be honest. <laughs> That's like the John Doe or whatever. So if you are listening to the podcast, share a, an Instagram story, tag me and Nick, and we're happy to share it. What we want is other listeners to see you and maybe click on your profile and then connect. And we want to build this community here. And then final reminder that if you want to do a deal with us anywhere across the country, just email us at the podcast email, which is in the show notes. We're set up now to do deals in Alberta, Ontario, and BC, and working to bring on more agents and mortgage brokers every day to serve our listeners. For sure. But enough is enough. Enough chit-chat, enough small talk here. We've got a hell of an episode here. So let's get into it. Today, we are going to be talking about cash versus cap. Two of the Gen Z hip-hop community's favorite things. Wait, like bussin' bussin' no cap? Yeah, I think so. I, I live in the suburbs, so I'm not really familiar with it. I can't bus anywhere. I have to drive. Yeah, it's not that kind of bus. Bro. I do like caps, though. I, I have a pretty good collection of bankruptcy dad hats. Like I have like Enron, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, Residential Mortgage, like a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I love your hat collection, but it's not that kind of cap either. Okay, okay. so since I obviously have n no idea <laughs> about Gen Z lingo, let's just get to talking about the cap that I do understand, and that is cap rates. Such bad, weird. Those are so bad. There's people probably rolling their eyes right now, but keep with us. It will all be worth it. Dan, get us started with cap rate. Okay. So capitalization rate or cap rate is a real estate valuation measure used to compare different real estate investments. Although there are many variations, the cap rate that is generally calculated is the ratio between the annual rental income by a real estate asset and its current market value. You could also use this on the way in by calculating the income against the price that you're going to pay for it. So that's your purchase cap rate. Cap rates are calculated by dividing the property's net operating income, in most cases, by its property asset value. Cap rates can provide valuable insight into a property, but the cap rate is not the only metric used to evaluate a real estate investment. Yeah, they're great for comparing properties kind of side by side, but they may not be the best to really get an understanding of a deal's impact on your own bottom line. So although you can usually use it to quickly disqualify an investment, if it doesn't meet your minimum criteria, for example, Dan, you know, you and I both have clients and investors that we work with that say something, I don't work with deals that aren't a seven cap, you know, don't show me anything under a seven cap. And that's kind of the benchmark. Yeah, for sure. It's technically more of a valuation metric. So it's, it's looked at to evaluate acquisitions, potentially, not really a return metric per se, but if you want an easy rule, if the cap rate of a property is lower than the borrowing cost of capital in the market right now, it's probably not viable. Yeah. And just to clarify, cost of capital just means your mortgage rate or however much your money is costing you. So it could be 5% with a traditional mortgage or 10% with a private. Right. So it's probably not a viable investment if the cap rate is lower than that mortgage rate, at least not at a compelling leverage point, like 70 to 80% loan to value. 
if the cap rate isn't at least what your mortgage rate is. Okay. So it's not great for getting an idea for how much you can actually expect to make from the property return wise. I mean, it is basically the return you would get if you were going to pay cash for the property, but nobody's ever paying cash for the property. One of the major benefits of investing in real estate is leverage. So let's pause there and actually define leverage because the word gets thrown around a lot in finance. And I think both the financial and English language definitions are pretty valuable for thinking about investments. And you know, we'll mention it a lot throughout this episode. So Dan, hit us with the definition as a noun. Yeah, so leverage as a noun means the exertion of force by means of a lever or an object used in the manner of a lever. My shovel hit something solid that wouldn't respond to leverage. Or as a noun in finance, the ratio of a company's loan capital or their debt to the value of its common stock or equity. So debt to equity. Okay, cool. Now leverage as a verb means the use of borrowed capital for an investment, expecting profits made to be greater than the interest payable. So use something to maximize advantage. The organization needs to leverage its key resources. So leverage is an investment strategy of using borrowed money, specifically the use of various financial instruments or borrowed capital to increase the potential return of said investments. But people use leverage every day from the Latin levare, which referred to something that was not heavy. Thanks for that, Professor Dan, our our resident Latin expert. So not heavy, meaning light. And that goes to the definition in physics, where a lever in physics, which amplifies a small input force into a greater output force. So you can leverage a bunch of different things. You can leverage other people's skills. You can leverage technology and they will help improve your life. This kind of goes back to the work smarter, not harder and the who, not how principles. Leverage can also be a dangerous thing. So if we look at leverage or the paradox of leverage, which is a situation where everyone is trying to reduce debts and improve their balance sheets all at once. But this process of paying off debts creates a problem for the economy, such as a shortage of liquidity and a fall in consumer spending. Sound familiar? Anyways, Dan, let's get back to cap rates. Maybe just a quick look at the pros and cons of cap rates here. So they're not necessarily great for financial planning as it's sort of a gross metric. It's pre-debt service, et cetera. It uses NOI or net operating income rather than BTCF, which is before tax cash flow. Dan, can you define NOI for the listeners? Also, if anyone is looking for a good glossary of terms, check out episode 12, where we go over every real estate investing term you should know. Yeah. So net operating income is a calculation used to analyze the profitability of income generating real estate investments. NOI equals all revenue from the property minus all reasonably necessary operating expenses. Yeah. So NOI is a before tax figure appearing on a property's income and cash flow statement that excludes principal and interest payments on loans, capital expenditures, depreciation, and amortization. When this metric is used in other industries is referred to EBIT, E-B-I-T, which stands for earnings before interest and taxes. So basically revenue and expenses. Yeah, so I'll quickly run through the revenue items, what you might see in the revenue section of that revenue and expenses. So this could be anything from monthly rent payments from tenants, common area rentals from tenants or outside individuals, proceeds from on-site laundry facilities, proceeds from on-site vending machines, or even arcade games, which I've heard of at a large-scale Airbnb, proceed from on-site parking facilities, 
It's similar. There, there are numerous operating expenses that, that go into running that same property that you were just giving examples on how to generate revenue, right? We've got snow removal. Shout out Troy Built. Stay tuned for Dan and I making fools of ourselves with free snowblowers that they sent us. Thanks very much for that. But that's a real expense, right? Sorry, not true, but snow removal, lawn care. And then you got routine maintenance, property repair costs. If you have like a superintendent, a doorman, any office staff salaries, property management fees, janitorial expenses, any kind of real estate taxes, utility costs that aren't directly past the tenants as well. Yeah, and, and it's important to note that this doesn't include major capital expenditures. So like if you're updating a roof or furnace or windows, then you can't really roll those into expenses because we'll get to it. I'll explain why later on when we get to the cash flow bit, but they're capital expenditures. They're not operating expenses. So net operating income is considered an accurate measure of a property's potential because it is less subject to manipulation than other figures. NOI can typically only be increased by raising rents, increasing the cost structure to use on-site facilities like laundry and parking, or finding lower cost options for maintenance and repairs. Cap rate is a good way to compare two properties side by side, but maybe isn't a way to measure a property's personal return to you as an investor per se. But Embedded within its NOI or net operating income, which is a pretty good way to look at properties performance purely from an income perspective rather than from a return perspective, which can help you make better portfolio decisions. Yeah. So from the Motley Fool site and shout out to Vishesh, a good buddy of ours who writes for the Motley Fool, uh, net operating income is essential in helping investors determine a property's capitalization rate which is the rate of return on an investment property based on the income it's expected to generate. I know we're, we're going over this over and over. It's because we want to drill it into your head. It's like when you're reading a nonfiction book and it seems like they're just repeating the same thing for 300 pages. They are because they want you to remember it by the end. <laughs> <laughs> As such, NOI can help an investor compare different properties side by side to see which one has the most potential. That's really what this is valuable for. It's looking at a bunch of deals side by side. And we talk about this all the time. you got to look at a bunch of deals before you find a good one. A lot of people think they're just going to find a good deal. No, you have to go looking. It can also be useful for an investor who owns several properties and is maybe looking to make a portfolio decision to unload the one whose operating costs leave the least amount of room for profit. Before I go on, I just wanted to, it gets me thinking, dating is almost like finding that first great property, right? I mean, how many times have you gone on a, for the single people out there, how many times have you guys gone on a date and it's just been an absolute smash hit the first time? Usually not. You got to go on a whole bunch of them to find a good partner. You got to look at a whole bunch of properties to find a good deal. Anyways, and we, we see this a lot in the mortgage space too, which is the net operating income also comes into play when properties need to be financed. So specifically, NOI is used to calculate a property's debt coverage ratio, which measures its ability to pay its debt based on its cash flow. So since NOI shows how much income a property can generate based on how much it costs to keep it running, it's a helpful tool for lenders and investors alike. Yeah, for sure. So I guess you sort of ultimately arrived there at the next piece of this conversation, which is before tax cash flow or cash flow. So we did a deep dive into cap rates. Let's look at another one of every real estate investor's favorite metrics, which is cash flow. Yeah. In simple terms, cash flow refers to the movement of money in and out of a business. And that's any business, but we're not here to talk about any business. We're here to talk about real estate. So when you're discussing real estate cash flow, you're talking about the money that's generated by the property. 
for example, the rental income versus the money that's spent in association with the property, the expenses. Real estate investments can generate positive cash flow or negative cash flow, which is a bad word around here. When a property has positive cash flow, its income exceeds expenses. And when there's negative cash flow, on the other hand, expenses exceed income. It is funny, the negative cash flow piece. Like a couple of people came up to me at the event and were talking about, you know, should I buy a Toronto condo? Somebody actually said, you know, should I buy a Toronto condo or a fourplex in Calgary? And, you know, and he was like, oh, well, if it ca- if I can find a Toronto condo that ca- is cash flow positive, and I said, if you find me one of those, like, I will probably buy it myself, but they don't exist right now. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because it, it goes back to very simple value investing. Rule number one investing, which is never lose money. And rule number two is never forget <laughs> rule number one, right? You can apply these things in real estate investing. You can apply these, you know, simple value investing principles that come from stock market greats like Buffett and Charlie Munger. Anyway, once you've established an NOI or net operating income, you can go a little further and get a before tax cash flow or BTCF. This is the amount of money an investment produces after the collection of all revenue items and payment of operating expenses and debt service. So to make that even more simple, the cash flow that the investor gets after all operating expenses and mortgage payments due for all the loans secured by the property under consideration are taken into account. Yeah, exactly. So the BTCF or before tax cash flow is used for the estimation of the return on equity or ROE, R-O-E, that is the income return on the equity, your own funds is the equity invested in the property by the real estate investor. It is also necessary for the calculation of the expected before tax total return or the internal rate of return or IRR of a property investment. Yeah. And the most common ROE or return on equity measurement we see that uses cash flow is a cash on cash return. Yeah, definitely. It has value for a few reasons, but cash on cash is probably the biggest one on the analysis side of things. But it's also super valuable and necessary to know once you own an asset from an accounting perspective, because if you're properly running your assets through a corporation, they should also have proper accounting statements. And one of those is a cash flow statement. Can you guess what that one's about? So usually in finance, cash flow refers to the movement of money in and out of a business. When you're discussing real estate cash flows, you're talking about money that's generated by the property versus the money that's associated being spent on the property. Yeah. So a cash flow statement basically includes three broad categories, operating activities, investing activities, and financing activities. It is from analysis of these activities that you will know how and where your cash is used and how the increase or decrease in cash happened. Most investors will agree that having a sufficient amount of cash on hand will prepare you for emergencies and circumstances that arise that require cash investments. Yeah, and a statement of cash flows will be slightly different for each investor or each corporate entity that invests in real estate. No two companies have the same expenses or inflows or outflows of cash. This example of a statement of cash flow is strictly for basic real estate investors that invest in rental properties and will use the direct method of reporting for the statement of cash flows. And keep in mind, it is kind of hard to do quote unquote accounting stuff verbally. So bear with us, but it's sort of just going to be a list (laughs) of line items and how they'd appear on a cash flow statement. And it's important to look at this way because it very clearly shows the difference between operating and investing activities. And remember in Patrick's accounting episode, I think episode 39, buying real estate in personal versus corporations, 
where he mentioned if you're spending money on major repairs that aren't maintenance items in quotes, they need to be declared as capex or investing activities rather than operating activities. So interesting distinction there. Yeah, totally. So let's just go through a few things here. The first heading would look something like this: cash flow from operating activities, cash received for rent, twelve thousand, cash spent on repairs, minus five hundred, cash spent for use for supplies, minus two hundred, cash spent on property tax, minus a thousand, cash spent for property management, minus another thousand dollars. That equals your net cash earned from operating activities at ninety three hundred. So you take that cash received from rent and then subtract the rest of the expenses there for operating activities. For sure. And then the second heading would say cash flow from investing activities. And keep in mind, again, these are things that aren't under the repairs category from before. So cash spent for new windows minus $1,000. Cash spent for new roof minus $2,000. These are obviously rough and probably non-existent calculations in a lot of cases. But I wish... (laughs) 2000 for a new roof? Come on. So total cash spent for investing activities minus $3,000. Yeah. And the final heading is going to say cash flow from financing activities. And this is where you might see any mortgages as HELOCs come in as sources of cash for the property and or the corporation. Yeah. So I think that we can maybe broadly unpack these things for a tiny bit of like budgeting or business management advice before we get to our final little piece from the cash flow, which is the cash on cash return. And there's a reason why we don't make that one an acronym, by the way. (laughs) Oh, wow. I just have to do that in my head. Nice. So basically, cash flows can be broken down more simply into two things, sources and uses. Now, many times property owners are experts at managing their accounts, but sometimes aren't real clear on whether their business is actually turning a profit. For example, if they're putting money in investing activities or getting it from financing activities rather than from operating activities. Yeah, one of the best ways of approaching this problem is a basic understanding of the three sources and uses of cash. So, you know, you basically get cash from sources and you use cash on things that you're spending that cash on. Those three categories are operating, investing, and financing. So, Nick, hit me with operating activities. For sure. This includes very basically all of your property's day-to-day activities including receivables like rent, payables like maintenance expenses, and more. This does not include loan principal payments and purchases of depreciable assets. Generally, this category is a source of cash, provides you cash when you collect your rent and show a profit, aka earning more than you're spending. It is a use of cash. And when you deplete cash, when you collect receivables that aren't profitable, or spending money on things, aka spending more than you are earning. So the next source or use of cash can be investing activities. So investing activities includes, and this is probably less common for properties by comparison to businesses, but it includes all purchases of depreciable assets. So vehicles, equipment, capital expenditures that you make. This would include major expenses like roofs, windows, or basically anything that falls outside of a general repair or maintenance. It can also include some of the funds received when properties are sold. So that's the capital gains income as an example. Is a use of cash when you buy an asset and can provide cash when you sell that asset. When buying assets, you must consider how, first how you'll pay for it. You know, you got to, well, some YOLOers, I guess, figure that out later. But if you pay for it with cash, (laughs) then the cash comes out of operating activities. So you better be collecting rents. 
Otherwise, you need a loan either from yourself, so you can do a personal shareholder's loan, or from a bank, which is where we get mortgages from. If you take out a loan, the money comes from financing activities, the next category. So in a small business, a major source of cash from financing activities is the money received from a long-term loan, which is used to buy that asset. If you're an investor, that may be a mortgage and the asset may be a property. If you don't have enough funds available from one of these operating activities, you can finance the purchase and pay the money back over time. One of the main uses of cash in this category, then including paying back the principal on those loans. The other is paying for distributions or draws to owners. But Dan, I feel like that was just a big data dump. So let's quickly wrap up and give the people what they want, which is cash on cash return. And then we can go in and talk about the differences and debate on which one we like more. But hit us with cash on cash. Yeah. So a cash on cash return is a rate of return often used in real estate transactions that calculates the cash income earned on the cash invested in a property. The calculation for a cash-on-cash return measures the net income produced by a property compared to the initial cash or equity investment made to acquire the same property. So the initial cash outlay may be mainly equity contributed by the investor, but it might also include certain expenses and some funds for upgrades or renovations. Cash on cash returns help when valuing property by calculating annual cash flow compared to the original cash invested and also factors in the impact of borrowed funds. The result of that can help determine an overall ROI or return on investment over time. And the result of the cash on cash calculation is often referred to as the cash yield or even return on equity or row. And the cash on cash formula is one of the most utilized investor tools, which help to screen an investment, usually in commercial real estate, where there is longer term debt commitment, but we see it across the board, smaller multifamily. And I think it's just a great formula for any and all investors to be familiar with. For sure. Cash on cash returns are used to help with assessing the potential profitability of a deal as they can indicate how an investment is expected to perform. Because cash on cash returns take into account any debt commitment, which cap rates don't really take into account, right? Because they're using net operating income, which is before those debt expenditures. These can also help investors choose between alternative financing methods. So it gives you the depth of you know, considering the mortgage and almost looking at how the return changes based on different mortgage opportunities that you might have for an asset, different interest rates, et cetera. Such methods may be taking a loan from a traditional mortgage lender or via private lender sources. Yeah, I wish we could have something that took cash flow into account, but was also like a good, you know, quick and dirty comparison, like a cap rate. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the reality is there are a lot of deeper methods, but they're, they just take a really long time. So I guess the the thing is like you almost want to use these high level ones to compare properties side by side. And then like I, that's why you typically will use cap rate first when I'm just browsing properties, trying to pick out which one is the best. That's almost like your, your shotgun approach. And then once you find a, you know, maybe a short list of two or three, then you can really dive in and get a bit more granular, look at the cap cash on cash and maybe even an internal rate of return or net present value as an example if i'm trying to establish what price that is and i want to do a discounted cash flow analysis yeah for sure and i mean there's many reasons why investors like to calculate a property's cash on cash return 
right? The first would be the most practical use of a cash on cash return is for property selection. Like we were just talking about cash on cash allows investors to conduct a quick side-by-side analysis of a bunch of different deals based on the information available to them, right? So we now start looking at things like rent roll, which is a multifamily's building history of tenants paying rent. We'll look at operating expenses and other finances that are ideally provided by that seller that would you know, allow us to have the information to punch these in and, and figure out what the return looks like. For sure. And sometimes you'll be able to see these things in the description of a property on like realtor.ca or another website, but a lot of times on- Love when they do that. Yeah, yeah, for (laughs) sure. But a lot of times it's hidden behind a CA or confidentiality agreement, or in some cases, people will even want to see a letter of intent or LOI or an offer before they're, you know, an offer conditional on review of those financial statements before they're presenting you with any of that stuff. Because it is, you know, it's people's accounting. It is private information. And that's where you'll often see, you know, people negotiating deals based on cap rates. And so they'll say, yeah, look, we'll, you know, okay, we have a rough idea that the property is worth 4 million bucks. We know it's selling at a 5% cap rate. And if the buyer and seller can sort of agree to transact it there, they don't need to dive into the accounting until things are a little bit further along and you get into that kind of due diligence phase or review phase. Another reason investors like, to use cash on cash compared to other metrics is that it factors in the cost of financing. So this helps investors determine what terms they need in order to achieve a certain cash on cash return. And we talk about this a lot early on in your investing career is you might want to actually be investing for cash flow because it helps you boost your income and income is the easiest way for you to boost your future buying power, future borrowing power. When an investor has more equity in the deal as a percentage of the loan to value, the cash on cash return will generally be lower if an investor has less equity in the deal. Remember, leverage, small input for big output. Yeah, and the calculation skews downward as more equity is invested. So the more money you have in actually hurts you, assuming revenues and costs remain constant, of course. The cost of financing can also impact the cash on cash return. And therefore, the calculation can motivate many investors such as ourselves to shop around for better rates and returns in an effort to maximize that cash on cash return. For sure. And you don't necessarily capture that with a cap rate because you don't see the investment sensitivity to interest rates. And right now we're learning how important it is to analyze an investment sensitivity. Wait, that happens? That's a thing. Yeah. (laughs) So finally, cash on cash returns provide useful insights on a property's expense profile. Properties with higher expenses will result in a lower cash on cash return, assuming all else remains equal. A prospective buyer might look at the current expenses to determine if there are cost savings that can be implemented to increase cash on cash returns. So controlling your expenses rather than just controlling your incomes. Remember, there are two kind of categories where you can carve out an advantage as an operator. Yeah, I love that. Many investors want to know what a good cash on cash return is. Well, there is no real easy answer for that because a good cash on cash return depends on several factors, a lot based on the investor's preference. As Dan and I mentioned earlier, we've got investors we work with that, you know, say things like don't show me anything less than a seven cap, right? And this goes to their risk, right? So a risk adverse investor might opt out to invest more equity into deals, thereby lowering how much leverage they need. The more equity, the lower the leverage cost of financing and the lower the cash on cash return is. So for some investors, an eight to ten percent cash on cash return is sufficient. Others want, you know, twenty percent 
cash on cash returns. They, you know, those looking for that kind of thing could be riskier or more levered up, taking on maybe a riskier asset with more vacancy or market risk or maybe less long-term growth potential. And sometimes people who are on the lower end are deferring that cash return and they're seeking maybe long-term capital appreciation as their major driver. Yeah. Okay. So I think that was a pretty good conversation about two of the most commonly used metrics that that real estate investors use to analyze potential returns for investment properties. And, you know, I'm a big fan of both cap rate and cash on cash return. Yeah. Cap rate measures the viability of property side by side from an investment without factoring in financing. So it's a good high level comparison of properties. Whereas cash on cash takes that a little bit further and the return tells you how much profit you receive for each dollar you invested. Yeah. So investors should be using both calculations to determine the best potential real estate investment. And I feel like you know there are more sophisticated investments for thorough analysis of properties later on. But I think one of the things that we talk a lot about here is you want to get good at doing deals. You want to get good at investing. You want to get good at determining what's a good investment. You got to be looking at a lot of them. And I think these two tools are really going to be good for that rather than taking a deep dive into assets, which is where you kind of get into your discounted cash flow or DCF or, and then you, which can kind of yield metrics like an internal rate of return or net present value. They're a little bit more sophisticated. In a lot of cases, we'll just use landlord.io to, to do that because in order to do a lot of these things, quickly, which I think agility and volume is like, you kind of got to, you got to comb through the quantity piece before you get to the quality piece, right? Yeah, totally. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, I am, I'm a simple man. (laughs) You know, I, I know how to do all the basic calculations, but I rely on software tools. I leverage Lendlord to make me look better and to allow me to you know, go through a ton more deals, right? We always talk about you have to do that quantity part before you find the quality. So leverage Lendlord and use that program to figure out the best metrics, get familiar with these metrics, and you will become a better and more successful investor, especially now that we are in bear market territory. Yeah, for sure. You know, we mentioned, we think that there's going to be once in a lifetime real estate investing opportunities over the next 24 months, let's say. So you got to look through a lot of them, right? Anyway, I think we covered a lot there. We should probably just wrap this one up. Before we do, I want to I want to make, you know, remind everybody, make sure you leave us a, a review. We'd love to put it up and read it live on the show. Feel free to promote your Instagram handle or whatever else you want in that review. Also, reminder, if you want to do a deal with us, just email the podcast. We're now set up to do deals in Alberta, Ontario, and BC, and we're working on bringing on more agents and mortgage brokers as partners every day to serve our listeners across the country. And a final reminder to stay in touch with us over the holiday season so we can schedule an event with you in 2023. We have a couple more announcements coming up on other cities across Canada that we're going to be doing events in and starting these monthly meetups for the investment communities in each town. Hopefully, we'll have one in every city in Canada by the end of next year. Yeah, that's the goal. We are super excited to do that. Get in touch with us. We promise we won't send you an annoying Christmas card or you know the classic Christmas greetings, but we would love to hear from you. Yeah, stay tuned. Every Tuesday and Friday, we are here. Thanks so much for listening. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group.
Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.